So, Lord, we pray now that you would help us to speak your word. Help us, Lord God, to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. What are you doing? Elijah Avanti of the proud men they try. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister Nyanda. And did you, baby? The cows wait for you and Babu. Wild dog who wants no one but you. Hmm? I know they made you do bad things. But you're not a bad boy. I am your father. Who loves you. And you will come home with me and be my son again. remember that clip from the movie Blood Diamond. We showed it at the end of uh, our last sermon from Ephesians before Easter when we talked about the old man and the new man and becoming who you already are. We said the father knows who you already are. The father knows who you truly are. But in the, in the clip, Dia, the son, uh, forgot who he truly was because he had been kidnapped by an evil warlord who brainwashed him and told him that he didn't have a father and therefore he wasn't a son and he was acting accordingly until his father showed up and told him who he truly was. And then we celebrated Easter. And we talked about St. Paul and how St. Paul really was an example of that. He was like, he was like Dia until uh, the word of his father found him on the road to Damascus and told him who he really was. And last week we preached from the next text in Ephesians where Paul writes, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And I told you the story of Ben Hooper, whom they call Ben the Bastard Boy, until the preacher said, boy, I know who your daddy is. Your daddy is God. Ben Hooper said he was born that day. Ben Hooper elected twice the governor of Tennessee. Well, that's our review. And now our text for the morning, Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 4. 
But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, greed, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, moral logos, moral logos, nor crude joking, eutropalia, uh, levity, which are out of place, literally do not fit, but instead let there be thanksgiving. No foolish talk, no funny talk, no vulgar talk, which are not appropriate. That is just like a nightmare verse for a junior high boy who loves Monty Python. <laughs> and a dream verse for a mom trying to get the kids to behave at, at grandma's. So this is the question. What is filthy talk? The Archbishop wants to sell this building outright to the Board of Education. What's going to happen to you? I'll be sent to the missions. Africa, Latin America, Korea. Forget it. Five grand, no problem. We'll have it for you in the morning. Let's go, Elwood. No, no. I will not take your filthy stolen money. Well, then. I guess you're really up shit creek. I beg your pardon, what did you say? I offered to help you. Mm -hmm. You refused to take our money. Mm -hmm. Then I said, I guess you're really up shit creek. Ow! Christ, Jake, take it easy, man. Elwood, ow! Jesus Christ! Ow! Jesus Christ! Ow! Shit! Ow! Shut up, you bitch! Jesus Christ! Oh, you fuck! such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. It saddens and hurts me that the two young men whom I raised to believe in the Ten Commandments have returned to me as two thieves with filthy mouths and bad attitudes. Get out and don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. Well, when I was a kid, we had a list of words we could say and words that we couldn't say. I mean, the list wasn't published anywhere, but we all pretty much knew what the list was. Uh, certain words were bad, certain words uh, were good. So, so we could say poo-poo, for instance, but there was another word that at least seemed to me to mean the same thing that we could not say. We could fall on our bottom but we could not fall on our butt. One of my earliest memories is going ice skating with my kindergarten friend Ray Hayes and his family. And I remember Ray uh, fell on his, his bottom and, and his mom started laughing and she said, Ray, did you hurt your butt? And I remember five years old, I looked at her and I thought, you're going to hell. Because <laughs> you spoke one of the unspeakable words. Well, it does make sense that we would tell our children not to use 
certain words, words that are too powerful for them to handle, or perhaps words that are too tempting for them to handle. Years ago, I remember we had dinner with a family in our church. They had a son named Jimmy who used to love to play with my daughter, Elizabeth. We were driving home in the van. I remember it was absolutely quiet, and uh, I had not provoked this in any way, but out of the blue, out of the silence, Elizabeth says, Daddy, yes, and she said, me and Jimmy didn't say but, which of course meant that they did say but, but probably wouldn't have said but if I wouldn't have made a law about not saying but. Elizabeth and, and Jimmy were tempted by the list of unspeakable words, by the law. And now something really was wrong with Elizabeth's speech, but it wasn't vocabulary. It was something far worse. And so I tried explaining to Coleman, her younger brother, a little later on, I tried explaining to Coleman one day that he could say but if it was a conjunction. <laughs> but if it was a noun, and I explained all this to him, he couldn't say it. That night we're driving in the van again and uh, like usual a fight breaks out in the back seat between Elizabeth and Coleman and all of a sudden I hear Coleman yell at the top of his lungs, Elizabeth you butthead! And then it got totally silent in the van because someone had spoken an unspeakable word. And then out of the silence I hear Coleman in a panic say, Dad, Dad, it was a conjunction, it was a conjunction! Well, according to Paul, what is it that makes bad talk bad? Is it a list of words that our society judges to be bad, like a certain word or words that describe poop, for instance? As we saw just a few weeks ago when St. Paul was describing his former religious life as a Pharisee in Philippians chapter three, he searched to find the most vulgar word he could possibly find. As to the law of Pharisee, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, I consider it all scubala that I may gain Christ. You know, some ancient scribes wouldn't even copy that word. And most folks today still won't even translate it. There's an obvious translation for that word, and it's not refuse. <laughs> Jacob and Elwood Blues know what it is. Well, maybe the thing that makes bad talk bad isn't poop, but well, like sex. Well, have you ever read the Song of Solomon in the Bible? I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit, etc., etc., etc. But it's not just the Song of Solomon. It's, it's the whole Bible. It, it gets translated out a lot, but words like seed, sperma, Fruit, covenant, communion, uh, knowledge, to, to know. I mean, they're all deeply sexual terms and, and biblical terms. In other words, the Bible is not prudish. So maybe it's not sexual words, but words describing sexual immorality. Paul just, Paul just wrote, let not porneia, that's fornication, let not porneia even be named among you. And yet, technically, he just named it, didn't he? Among them, in the Bible. 
So Paul must be talking about something more than a vocabulary list or descriptions of sexual sin, for if not, we, we sure couldn't tell the story of David and Bathsheba, could we? In fact, you, you couldn't really even read most of, of your Bible, the, most of the Old Testament at, at least. Listen to God speaking of Jerusalem through Ezekiel. She played the whore in Egypt and lusted after her paramours there whose members were like those of donkeys and whose issue was like that of a horse. I'm thinking that's fairly descriptive in the, in the original language. Vulgar words describing vulgar things. But how weird is it in our society that you cannot describe sin, but you can do the sin? I mean, you can't say the F word on TV, for that's bad. But on every sitcom, they do the F word and describe it as good. What is that? Well, anyway, maybe the thing that makes bad talk bad isn't a list of potty words, sex words, or, or vulgar words. What about swear words? It, years ago, um, this little boy, and Andy Mott, but was part of our church, his, his mom told me this story. He was driving up I-70 uh, with his friend's family, and they were close to the building, and he said to his friend, hey, how come you guys never come to our church? And this, this little friend said, well, I don't think we should go to your church because they say swear words at your church. And Andy said, well, what do you mean? And the little boy said, well, they say like God and Jesus all the time. Unfortunately, the mother overheard the conversation, told Andy's mom who told me, you worried about swear words, God and, and Jesus? To swear, you know, is to take, take an oath. It's strange, it's just weird that we worry about swear words. When the Bible never mentions swear words, however, it does talk very clearly about swearing, that is, taking oaths. James 5.20, above all, brothers, do not swear an oath. An oath would be like the Boy Scout oath. Perhaps even the Pledge of Allegiance. You see, an oath forms a covenant, and we are to honor no covenant except for the covenant that God made for us at the cross. Even our marriage covenant is to be an extension of that covenant. This is wild to think about, but in Boy Scouts, I was required to swear an oath to obey God, and yet I broke the oath even as I swore it because God commands me never to swear an oath. I mean, that is just weird. Well, if it's not swear words that make bad talk bad, maybe it's cuss words, curse words. You know, I really used to worry about my grandpa, Grandpa Ralph, because he's, he used this phrase, God damn, like all the time. But when I got older and I began to understand what the phrase meant, I, I thought, well, maybe grandpa's not going to hell, but... His farm equipment is. <laughs> goddamn tractor, goddamn manure spreader, goddamn it to hell. I mean, hell is just full of my grandpa's goddamn farm equipment. In scripture, God damns various things. 
To to damn something is to issue a condemning judgment. So God damns the world to death and destruction. And then Romans 8, 3, Paul writes this, that in Christ, God damned sin in the flesh. So God damned God in the flesh, hanging on a tree, in a garden, on our behalf. Then Romans 8, 34, Paul writes, so who is left to damn? Who is there to condemn? Who who is to damn? So you see, we shouldn't be doing any damning, but to say God damned is, well, it's to quote the Bible. God damned damnation at the cross. So, he doesn't curse you. Did you know that? but you probably curse you. I've dealt with a lot of demonic crap over the years, and let me tell you where demons get their power. They, they get their power from secret oaths and from curses, statements like this. I hate myself. I will always be a failure. I'm worthless. I'm unwanted. I'm a mistake. That's a curse. So I renounce it. Or I will never forgive her. By God, I'll never forgive myself. That's an oath. So I renounce it. If you've sworn oaths or spoken curses, renounce them in Jesus' name. For you see, with those oaths and those curses, you feed the devil, the accuser. Yet the devil and and his demons... Well, they don't seem to derive much power from violations of vocabulary lists. So why do we come up with vocabulary lists? Why are we so interested in making more laws? Why do we come up with lists? Well, isn't it a convenient way to judge? A convenient way to accuse others and justify the self. It's it's knowledge of which words are good and which words are evil so I can judge the word in others. Well, I'm no expert on first century cultural Jewish life. Um, So I I don't know if they had many unspeakable words like our S word (laughs) or our F word or the word but. But, and now I'm using that as a conjunction, but, but they did have one unspeakable word. In fact, the punishment for speaking this unspeakable word was death. And that word was Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord. That's punishable by death. Jesus' day, Yahweh. Yahweh, or Yehovah, or uh, perhaps uh, Jehovah. It was the name revealed to Moses at the burning bush when God said, I am that I am. It was there that God told Moses his name. It includes uh, four consonants. And And then God said, this is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And yet within one generation of the death of Christ, we forgot the name. We have the four consonants. It's called the tetragrammaton. But we don't have the vowels that connect the consonants. 
You see, ancient Hebrew was written with no vowels. Of course, people spoke the vowels so they could remember the words. For a thousand years, every Hebrew spoke the name, spoke the name that must be remembered. But about 300 years before Christ, the religious authorities began to forget, forbid common people from speaking the name for fear that they might take the name in vain. So by the time of Christ, it appears that only the high priest uttered the name once a year in the sanctuary on the Day of Atonement. So when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, no one uttered the name. And because the vowels were not added to the Hebrew text until the Middle Ages, somewhere, I think, in, in Europe, uh, people couldn't remember the vowels to God's name when the vowels were added. Some used the vowels from the word Adonai, which means Lord, combined with the four consonants to produce Yehovah or Jehovah, but most scholars are now convinced that it should be pronounced Yahweh or Yahweh, Yahweh. In most modern Bibles, in your Bible, wherever you see Lord, all in capital letters, the word that's being translated there actually isn't, isn't Lord. It's those four consonants, Yod, He, Vav, He, Yahweh. It appears that Yahweh means something like isness or I am, the ground of all being. So Yahweh means I am and Yahashua means I am salvation. It's, it's shortened and, and then shortened more to Yahshua or Joshua in English, Jesus. But isn't it ironic? By the time of Jesus, the religious leaders were so concerned about saving people from God or saving God from people who spoke his name in vain, who took his name in vain, that they outlawed taking his name at all. Joel prophesied, whoever calls on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. But in Jesus' day, it was against the law to call on the name. Yet on Pentecost, Peter quotes Joel and reveals that people are calling on the name. They're calling Yahashua, Yahshua, Jesus. Peter preached, there is no other name under heaven by which a man must be saved. Yahshua, Yahweh, is salvation. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Isn't it to use God's name for your own vain purposes? Like condemning others and justifying yourself? Saying, God says this, God says that. God says I'm good and you're bad. Isn't it like making Yahweh, uh, or, or making Yahweh your errand boy, uh, nailing Yahweh down to your will, nailing Yahweh to your knowledge of good and evil in order to serve your own agenda? You know, it's ironic that in an effort to obey the law, it was against the law to even say the name of Yahweh, and it was then that they nailed Yahweh to a tree. <laughs> According to their understanding, of the law. You have been found guilty by the elders of the town of uttering the name of our Lord, and so as a blasphemer, 
You are to be stoned to death. Look, I had a lovely supper, and all I said to my wife was, that piece of halibut was good enough for Jehovah. Blasphemy! He said it again. By virtue of the authority, this did it mean. Oh, lay off. We haven't started yet. Come on. Who threw that? Who threw that stone? Come on. Sorry, I thought we started. Go to the back. Oh, dear. Always one, isn't there? Now, where were we? Look, I don't think it ought to be blasphemy. Just saying Jehovah. Are making it worse for yourself? Making it worse? How could it be worse? Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah. I'm warning you, if you say Jehovah once more, right, who threw that? Come on, who threw that? <laughs> Was it you? Yes. Right. We did say Jehovah. Come on. Now look, no one is to stone anyone until I blow this whistle. Do you understand? Even, and I want to make this absolutely clear, even if they do say Jehovah. <laughs> And everybody dies. That's the law. So anyway, what makes bad talk bad and good talk good? Not, not some list of, of words, not laws about words, and, and yet it's not as if words don't matter. The Hebrew language really doesn't have a word for word. That, that's kind of interesting to me. It doesn't have a word for word like our word for word. In, in Hebrew, debar, the word for word, also means thing. You see, in Hebrew, a word isn't like a particular sound in, in, in the air. Sometimes in the Old Testament, the word of Yahweh would come to people, and the word would look like a man. A, a man would come to them. In Greek, logos, the word for word, also means meaning or reason or, or logic. It wasn't just a sound in the air. You know, in the beginning, God spoke a word into the void. And everything that's anything was created. Well, what makes good talk good? What is it? Well, I think Paul has been telling us uh, all along. Uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse 22. You remember that Paul wrote, put off your old man, and verse 24, put on the new man created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away the false, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Speak the truth. What's the truth? Or more accurately, who is the truth? Verse 29, let no corrupting talk, logos sapros, rotten logos, Come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as needed, that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put off, be put away, put away from you, along with all malice. You see, that's not a list of bad words. 
That's a list of rotten reasons for speaking them. Slander, gossip, clamor, anger, wrath, bitterness, all rotten logos. That's dead logos, like logos that's been murdered or crucified. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Children, walk this way. Talk this way. How does your father, Yahweh, talk? What's the word he speaks? And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And now our verse. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. More literally translated, not even be named in you as fits the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which don't fit, but instead let there be eucharistia, translated thanksgiving. It's where we get our word eucharist. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. As we preached last time, they're not claiming their inheritance. Let no one deceive you with empty words, kenoi, kenoi logoi, empty logos. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, you were darkness. But now, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and, and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is a shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything, anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. So people are ashamed to speak of the things that they do in secret, but anything exposed to light becomes light. So when you speak your shame into the light, well, then it's like no longer shame, is it? But light. Therefore, it says, writes Paul, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Christ will shine on you. So, so what is it that makes good talk good? In verse three, Paul writes this. Fornication, impurity, greed must not even be named in you. It doesn't fit. In chapter 121, he wrote that Christ is raised and seated above every name that is named. In Ephesians 3.14, he wrote that the Father names every family on earth. That means you have a name spoken by the Father, just as you have a new man created by his word. And you have an old man that you think you created. That is, you have a name that you made for yourself, but it doesn't fit. It's not that you can't say the name. It's not that you can't confess your sin. It's not that you, you can't say the name. It's that you can't receive the name. <laughs> For it is not who you truly are. 
So as soon as you recognize sin, like greed, I mean, we're in America. Surely there's gotta be some of that. As soon as you recognize a sin like greed or sexual immorality, confess the sin. But don't name yourself with the sin. And don't go around naming other people, especially the people in this room with with the sin, with their sin. Paul wrote, anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. You see, if you hang on to the old, If you identify with the old, if you name yourself with the old, you can't claim the new. Creation, your inheritance. It's like Father Solomon said to to Dia in in Blood Diamond, you are Dia Vandi of the proud Mende tribe. He names his son and then he says, I know they made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. It's not, na- it's not that you, you can't name the crap that people produce. It's that you can't name people with their crap. Jake and Elwood Blues, they didn't name the nun. I mean, actually, they called her the penguin in the movie, but it's not too bad. I mean, they didn't name, they didn't name the nun, but she named Jake and Elwood, right? Two thieves with filthy mouths and bad attitudes. I, I think that's could even be a curse. Maybe filthy talk isn't talk that describes filth, but talk that makes people filthy. And so if you call on Christ, you know, maybe you shouldn't say things like this. Maybe you shouldn't say this. I'm a neurotic. I'm a psychotic. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a sex addict. If you mean by that that you struggle with those things, well, okay. If you mean by that that you're tempted and that you fail at at all those things, well, okay. But that's not who you are. You are a new man created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and, and holiness. You have a new name. And it's also Christ's name. So if it does not fit on the risen Christ, it doesn't fit on you. Paul wrote, don't even, don't even joke about these things. No filthy talk, no, no foolish talk. The fool says in his heart there is, there is no God. No foolish talk, no, no, no joke, no, no, no bad talk. Instead, let there be Eucharistia. Literally, good grace, that is thanksgiving. You see, thanksgiving recognizes that everything is grace, right? You're you're thankful for things that come by grace. The new man is God's creation, and he is entirely grace. And everywhere he looks, he sees grace. The old man is our creation, and he is entirely works. And everything he look, he, where he looks, he, he sees something that he can covet, that he can, that he can own. The old man covets things and covets people, and then thinks he deserves those things, and he owns those people. Someone said it's best to talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. I think Paul would say, it's best to thank God for people before you talk to people at all. Thank God for people. Or maybe it's best to thank God for everything before you talk about anything. You see, when I truly thank God for everything, 
I find it very hard to covet anything. When I thank God for a person, I realize that I don't own that person. When I thank God for a pretty girl, speaking of sexual immorality, I mean, rather than denying the fact that she's beautiful, when I find that I thank God for a a beautiful girl, I realize that she's not mine to covet. When I thank God for someone, it entirely changes the way I talk to that someone. I mean, try it sometime. Before you come to church, think of someone at church or or wherever in your life and just thank God for them for a while and and you'll find that it, it changes the way you talk to them when you see them. Well, anyway, good talk is God's talk that creates rather than desecrates. Good talk is good grace that sees grace rather than disgrace. Good talk is light that integrates rather than disintegrates, light that unites people in grace. Years ago, we had... uh, Philip and Janet Yancey come to our house for dinner. At the time, Philip was like my favorite living author. So I was pretty stressed about this. And so I got all the kids together and I sat them down and we reviewed the list of unspeakable words. <laughs> but and booger. And, and we reviewed the list of untellable stories. <laughs> Could not tell. The story of when Elizabeth was two and she came in, found my beer, drank it, walked in the wall and fell over. (laughs) Or the story of how Coleman called Elizabeth a butthead in the van and said it was a conjunction, couldn't tell those stories. Well, the Yanceys came over and uh, it was nice, but everybody was incredibly stiff and disconnected until Janet said something. And I remember Becky laughed. She must have been about five at the time. She laughed and said, oh, that reminds me of a time that Coleman said, and then all of a sudden she stopped, put her hand over her mouth and said, I'm sorry, I wasn't supposed to say that. And Janet looked at Becky and said, Becky, what do you mean you weren't supposed to say that? And Becky said, well, um, looking at me, Susan, uh, well, um, and, and then Janet said, Becky, is there like a list of things that you're not supposed to say or talk about? And Becky realizing that it was wrong t- to lie, that she was really in a bind. I mean, she just didn't know what to do. She, she kind of looked around the room and she said, uh-huh. And Janet said, wow, Becky, tell me everything on the list. (laughs) And so we spent the rest of the evening talking about the things of which I was ashamed to speak. The unspeakable words and the untellable stories, and we connected, we bonded. Uh, Now that's just a silly example, but heaven is not a silly example. I think Peter will forever be telling the person next to him, I was such a coward, and Jesus turned me into a rock. St. Paul will say, I was a Pharisee. I was so legalistic, and he turned me into the apostle of grace. 
Our dinner is a silly example, but St. Paul is not. He wrote this, I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see, his weakness displays the glory of God, which is grace. That, that, that dinner is a silly example, but church is not a silly example. In other words, we are commanded to confess our sins one to another. That means to expose them to the light. We feel shame when we speak of those things that we've done in secret, but once confessed, they become light, and light is grace that brings people together. You know when King David confessed his sin with Bathsheba? Solomon was conceived, Prince of Peace in Bathsheba's dark womb. When we confess our shame, Christ is born in our place of shame. He is God's word of grace that makes us who we are forever are. We who we forever are. In other words, when we confess our darkness, God says, let there be light. And he speaks light into our darkness. Paul wrote, once you were darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. I have a friend that had an incredible experience in, in prayer. The Lord showed her how she thought that she was a mistake and that she was unwanted, uh, largely because of curses really spoken over her by her mother and her siblings. Well, the Lord showed her in, in a vision this dark orb, which was the place where she was to be made. She called it an, an egg. And then the Lord showed her his spirit, which touched the darkness, turning it to light, like seed implanted in a womb, like a word spoken into the void. Then, you see, in the place that she felt unwanted, she realized that she was entirely wanted. In the place that she thought she was a mistake, she realized that she was the very purpose of Yahweh. She wrote this to me. As he created the world, he created each one of us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote this. It is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Once you were darkness. Uh, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts, giving the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And here Paul writes this. At one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, as if the light were like a, a seed and this world were like a dark womb. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, as if the light impregnates our old man, giving birth to the new man, as if the light were alive. Well, in the beginning, God spoke his word into the darkness, and God is light. And his word is the light of the world. His word is light, his word is life, his word is truth, his word is grace, his word creates all things, his word creates us and names us, his word is Jesus. And you see, by the grace of God, you can speak that word. Like Father Solomon spoke it to his son Dia. Like the preacher spoke it to Ben the Basher boy. Like God the Father spoke it 
to Saul of Tarsus, like Jesus spoke himself to Saul of Tarsus, creating St. Paul. When you speak that word into another person, you are used by God to create that person in his image, while you yourself are created in the image of your creator who creates with a word, and the word is Jesus. Jesus is what makes good talk good. And an absence of Jesus, no matter what language you're speaking, no matter what vocabulary you're speaking, an absence of Jesus is what makes bad talk bad. Rotten logos, empty logos, foolish logos, dead logos, but the risen logos, Jesus, is what makes good talk good. Jesus is the good. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the way. The way your father talks. But Jesus is not a word you can control. He must control you. Jesus is not a word that you can judge. Jesus is the judgment. Jesus is not simply J-E-S-U-S on some t-shirt somewhere. Uh, Jesus is not simply a particular vibration in the atmosphere. Jesus is the meaning of all things, and Jesus is a person. Our old man desires to turn Jesus into a list, a list of rules called the law that we can use, like knowledge nailed to a tree. But Jesus is a life-giving spirit, writes Paul, that knows us and so creates us and creates through us, that loves us and so loves through us. So what makes good talk good is knowing Jesus. Paul wrote, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or coarse jesting which do not fit, but instead let there be Eucharist. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed by us. He took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant, the covenant, an eternal covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. This is the way God the Father Talks. Talk this way. And then you will not only utter the name of God, you will speak the word that is God. You'll talk the way, the word. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That Word. You get to speak that Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray with me. Lord God, thank you for speaking me into existence. Thank you for speaking into the darkness and the void that is my sin. Thank you for transforming it from darkness 
into light. Thank you for making me, myself, a revelation of your mercy. And as you have spoken to me, may you speak through me to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh. Love to shout your name, O Lord. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name. Filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh. Love to shout your name, O Lord. Love to shout your And so, Lord God, we love to shout your name, but not nearly as much as you love to hear us shout your name because you are our daddy. And I, I just loved it when my kids would shout my name and when they still shout my name, when they call upon me. Thank you, Father that you are good, in Jesus' name, amen. And so, may you talk this way, the way, the truth, the light, <laughs> the love of God poured out, May you imitate your father as beloved children. He said, well, how do I do that? Well, you know, he's spoken to you his word. And his word said to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means wherever you are, his word is with you. And, and you know, Paul didn't say, just pray in the morning, pray at night, and brush your teeth. He said, pray constantly. That means wherever you are, be cognizant of the fact that Jesus is right there with you. And you see, when you live that way, when you live in communion with him, constantly aware of him, well, I think you will speak what you're supposed to speak. And your talk will be good talk. For he will inhabit your talk. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and speak the gospel. Everywhere, always, amen.